Okay. So we're going to get in, we're going to get deeper in, into First uh, John chapter two, uh, verses three through six is our text. So that's where we're going to at least start. That's where we're going to at least start. And so we got, we have here in First John two. I put this in my pocket before and turned it off. So in First John two, we start here in verse three, and he says, "And hereby we do know that we know him." If we keep his commandments, he that saith, I know him and keepeth not his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. Father, we come to you, Lord, and we're um, dependent upon you. Uh, in regards to the understanding of your word and the application to our life. Father, I pray that you would enlarge our hearts with your truth. Uh, Help us, Father, to abide in your truth. For in doing so, Lord, we know that we can have fellowship with you and with your son, Jesus Christ. And really, that is that is the aim, is to have fellowship with you. We thank you so much for Jesus Christ, who is our advocate, who is our propitiation. And we know, Lord God, in him we stand on solid ground, and we are uh, we are safe in him. We thank you so much for that, Lord. Uh, Father, I mention these individuals. I lift them up. I also want to lift up Dina. Father, at the loss of her mother, I pray, Father, that you, would, you who are the God of all comfort, uh, would bring comfort to Dina's heart. We thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. So as we can clearly see here in these uh, four verses, uh, there's an emphasis about knowing. Okay? There's an emphasis about knowing. There's an emphasis also about God's word. That's what it means by the commandments. And there's also an emphasis about our keeping his word. Keeping his word, observing his word, obeying his word. And as we've learned, just as light cannot fellowship with darkness, in the same vein, there is no abiding without the keeping of his word. Okay, so just as light cannot abide with darkness, uh, there is no abiding without the keeping of his word. Again, John, uh, it, with John, uh, there is no gray areas. It's either black or white. It's either this or that. There are no, there are no gray areas. So on your study guide, the very first blank is this. We have all the resources made available to us in his word. And I'm going to pause here just for a minute. In Matthew 13:52, it, it refers to it as a treasure. And in God's word, we have a deep treasure. We have a rich treasure. We've got the stories of all those saints in the Old Testament. We have uh, all these principles, all these doctrines. We have these words of comfort. We have these words of warning. Uh, the word of God is complete. It's everything we need. And I say that because there are so many out there claiming, well, you need this and you need that and you've got to have this and you've got to... No, God has provided us everything we need in his Bible. Everything we need in his Bible. To go on, we have the anointing of his spirit, which enables us to understand his word as well as teaches us his word. And that's what 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 20 through 11 tell us. Uh, It is the Holy Spirit that, that has inspired this word. Holy men of God were moved by the Holy Ghost. Okay? So let me say this, you know, uh, the Holy Spirit will never do anything 
contrary to the word. I'll say that one more time. The Holy Spirit will never do anything contrary to the word. So that tells me a lot of this foolishness that is going on in the name of the Spirit that is contrary to the Word. What would that tell you? It's a different spirit. It's a different spirit. I don't care what they say, it's a different spirit they're operating from. Because the Holy Spirit will never do anything contrary to His Word. And then the last thing is, not only do we have His Word, and not only do we have His Spirit, but we also have His church. The fellowship of the church. Ephesians 4.11 says, And He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. God has gifted to His body pastors and teachers to edify the body to edify the body he's also gifted members of the body 1 Corinthians chapter 12 with gifts now these gifts are not to showboat ourselves as some do what are these gifts for? They are to minister to the church, to strengthen the church, to enable the church to withstand the perils and the, and the persecutions and the troubles that come trying to attack the church. Those gifts are never ever meant for self-edification. Okay? That's for the body. I have a gift. And I use that gift to edify the body. I believe my gift is the gift of teaching. And so I pray to use that gift to edify the body. You all have a gift. You pray to use that gift and whatever gift that is to edify. That's the purpose of the gifts. Do you understand that? Okay. That's why you have... I'm saying that because we see a lot of foolishness even in that regard. Even in that regard. Hebrews 13:17 says, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. So these pastors and these teachers who who are gifts to the church also have a charge from God also have a charge from God and that is to watch over the souls of the members of the church okay and they also have a great accountability we hear Brian say it all the time don't we one day I'm going to stand accountable if you have a desire to be a pastor or a teacher you better keep that in mind because one day you're going to stand before the chief shepherd and you're going to give an account. You're going to give an account. If you're discipling somebody, taking somebody through the discipleship lessons, you better take it seriously. Because you're going to give an account. You're going to give an account to the chief shepherd about that matter. So it's very, very serious. That's why uh, that's why James warns. He says, don't be many teachers. In other words, you know, don't don't put yourself in a position that you're not meant to be. 
Because that's a very serious situation. Very serious thing to take on. So on your study guide, all three of these resources, the Word, the Spirit, and the Church, are used by the Father as the means or way that we come to know God through the keeping of His commandments to to the fulfilling of His will. Commandments is your blank. I want to camp here for a little bit. Um, let's go. Let's go to the Old Testament. It's there for our learning. Again, some of these teachers are telling you, ignore the Old Testament. It's not relevant for today. Don't fall into that. The whole Word of God, not just some of it, is what we need to hold to. Uh, Joshua. He was soon to lead the armies of Israel into the promised land. Turn to the book of Joshua, chapter 1. And um, he was going to take back the land that was coveted to Abraham by God in Genesis chapter 12. Kim, would you like a study guide? Thank you. Yep. And so, um, before he was going to do that, God had told Joshua something. And I believe here is a principle established. In Joshua 1.8, is anybody there? Somebody read it out loud, please. This book of the So here's a principle being established right here in the scriptures. When facing the enemy, you hold fast to God's word. When facing the enemy, you hold fast to God's word. Because that's exactly what the enemy wants to take out of your hand. You hold fast to God's word. At the close of the book, Joshua, a very far-sighted man, very wise man, he knew his people well. He knew the heart of his people. He had been with them through the wilderness journey. He had observed them and watched them in spite of all of the deliverances that God had given them, in spite of all of the miracles that they had seen. Joshua knew his people, that they were a fickle people. In Joshua 24:14, he says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. Isn't that something I've been hammering on right there? Yeah. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil on you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That is a decision, a choice we must make. We must make that choice. We must make that choice. Continuing through the Bible, turn to Psalms chapter 1. Continuing through the Bible in the Old Testament, this same truth still runs true. 
It still runs true. In Psalms chapter 1, this truth is is reiterated yet again with its promises. Raise your hand if you're there. So would someone please read Psalms chapter 1, 1 through 3. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and his law, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in the season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doth, Right. It's the same thing that John is saying here in, in, in chapter 2 of 1 John. And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. It's the same admonition all the way through the word of God. So on your study guide, notice the commonalities here in these passages. There's four things. Meditate. Observe. Delight and do or keep or obey. Right? So meditate, observe, delight and do. So on your study guide, as we meditate upon what God's word says, right, we're not contemplating our navel. We're not emptying our minds. We're doing just the opposite. We're filling our minds with God's Word. So as we meditate upon what God's Word says, we come to know the mind of God and how He has designed life to run successfully and prosperously. And it is by this we come to appreciate the wisdom of God. Successfully and prosperously. Even the lost recognize the value of living a righteous life. Even the lost recognize this. Job 28.28 says, Unto man, he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to depart from evil is is, is understanding. I mean, even the lost teach their children the difference between right and wrong. Right? And we know that if we live a, a righteous life, more often than not, we'll stay out of trouble. So on your study guide, when we apply God's commandments to our daily lives, our relationships, our occupations, life general, this is the observing and doing. We, get, we begin to prosper spiritually and confidence is your blank and God's word is established and our faith becomes stronger. When we discover that living what God's word says actually works, right? We gain confidence from that, don't we? Or we should. Or we should. On your study guide, and as we have looked at before, the motive is your blank. The motive for all of this is love for God because he first loved us. This is the delight that we read here in these passages. When you love God's word, we delight in... Do you delight in God's word? 
Now, honestly, I have to admit, if I'm not feeling well or if I'm stressed or if something's going on, I still get into God's Word, right? There may not be a lot of delight at the time, but you know what I've discovered? In spite of my circumstances, in spite of my situation, as I read God's Word and pray over God's Word, that delight returns. That delight returns. And also, I have to confess, there are times when I, and it's been a long time, when I hop out of bed (laughs) and I look forward to spending my time in God's Word. Do you look forward to spending time in God's Word? Don't lose that. Don't lose that. Second Timothy 1.12 says, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Then he says to Timothy, he says, Hold fast the form of sound words, which thou hast heard of me in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Hold fast, folks. Hold fast. Why do you think there are so many different translations and paraphrase out there? Because somebody's trying to steal away from you God's word. No, hold fast. On your study guide, Paul writes to his son in the faith, Timothy, to encourage him due to the opposition... Is your blank he is facing because of the faith. And Paul tells Timothy to hold fast the form of sound words. Opposition. There are people who are opposed to you simply because you have Christ in you. Right? Simply because, even, even believers, simply because you hold on to this big old black KJV. Yours may not be black, mine is. But just because you hold on to this KJV, they look at you like you've got three eyes. They really do. Hold fast, folks. Paul writes to Titus and charges him to charge the elders of the church. He says to them, he writes in Titus 1.9, Holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that, we, that he may be able to, by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. That's Titus 1.9. If there comes a day that Brian forsakes the KJV, I'm out of here. I am. I don't think Brian will do it. But if he does, I'll go somewhere else. I'll go somewhere else. On your study guide, to another group of believers who are being threatened by false teachers who are attempting to draw away, is your blank, from the grace of God in, in Jesus Christ, they were drawing them away back under the yoke of Judaism. These were Hebrew believers, these were Christians that were raised in the Hebrew religion, and they had teachers trying to woo them back under the Judaic Yoke. That's what Hebrews is all about. In Hebrews 6.18, he says that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which is Jesus Christ. 
which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil, whether whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So on your study guide, when we fail to hold fast the form of sound words and faith and love or live a lifestyle contrary to God's way, then this will affect our confidence in God. Yes, ma'am. I'm missing one, the one before draw away. Draw away. Huh? Draw away. What was before that? Uh, opposition. Opposition. Mm-hmm. So when we fail to hold on to God's word, when we fail to live a life worthy of God's word, then that's where our confidence in God will begin to to fail, will begin to lag or become weak. Do you ever stop and think about that? You know, John in his epistle, he constantly brings up God is light or truth, God is righteous, and God is love. That's that's that reoccurring theme you keep reading through the epistle of 1 John. Psalms 5.12 says, For thou, Lord, will bless the righteous. With favor wilt thou compass him as with a shield. Huh. Where have I read about a shield before? Right? Ephesians chapter 6. It's called the what? Shield of faith. Right? The shield of faith. That shield of faith is the is to be held up above all to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. Right? Uh, that was the theme for our group there in Monmouth. When we went to Monmouth, we talked about the armor of God to the kids. And one of the things that we talked about was holding that shield of faith up high. Well, when you fail to hold that shield up, when you are not putting your nose in the book and praying over what you're reading, when you're living a life that's out of step with God, guess what's going to happen? Those fiery darts are going to have free course right into your heart and your mind. So on your study guide, the cause of so much anxiety in a believer's heart may be due to to feeling insecure in their relationship with God. Because you're not holding that shield of faith up. Because you're not spending time with Him and His Word. It's because you know your walk is out of step with Him. That's going to bring insecurity, folks. That's not going to bring about boldness. And the, and the enemy seeks to, he sees that, that momentary dropping of the shield and he is quick to pounce. He's quick to pounce because he wants to change your mind. He wants to steal your heart away from God. So he's quick to pounce. This insecurity aggravates our confidence in God. We begin to lament, you know, well, he doesn't love me or he doesn't, you know, uh, you know, he's punishing me or um, he doesn't care about me. And I know that's a lie. That's me, you know. And I know that's a lie straight from the pit. I know it's one of those fiery darts. Because 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Casting all your care upon him, for why? He careth for you. 
God doesn't change. Who changes? I do. I do. Maybe it's a time for a 1 John 1 9 moment. <laughs> you know? Maybe. You know, the Lord told the Jews through the prophet Jeremiah, He says, Even though you've, you have forsaken me, and even though soon you're going to be sent off into captivity into Babylon because of your foolishness, because of your rebellion, you know what He says to these people, these wayward people, these stiff-necked people in Jeremiah 29.11? He says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you. You may, you may not be thinking right for, toward me, but I, I know my thoughts. Saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. He's a good God. And all of his thoughts toward us are good. All things work together for bad to them that love God. Right? No, that's not what it says. That's not what it says. All things work together for good to them that love God. So why do we let our brains tell us differently? Because we don't have that shield up. We don't have our nose in that book. We're not walking right. That's why. Paul exhorting the Hebrew believers who were under great duress. You know, they they had folks saying, you know, abandon that Christianity, come back to Judaism. And so he's writing to encourage them. Don't do that. That's not a step forward. That's a step back. And that's exactly what the enemy wants you to do. He always wants you to make a step back. Always. Man, I don't know. Those good old days, they sure seem... No. No. Boy, I don't know. I didn't have all this trouble before I started serving. No. Don't go there. Don't go there. Hebrews 13.5 says, Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he had said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that ye may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. You know, I had a wise man um, counsel me one time. And uh, my tendency when I was a younger Christian, my tendency was to... um, uh, uh, was to uh, flee when things got tough when things got difficult uh, my tendency was to flee and he said brother Jeff he says uh, you'll never grow that way he says don't flee face it with the Lord as your helper face it with the Lord as your helper He says, I know it's difficult, I know it's tough, but he's going to see you through it. And when you come out the other side, you'll be stronger for it. That was hard medicine for me to take at that time. But it's good medicine. It's good medicine. Anybody in here feel like the black sheep in your family? Because of your faith? Yeah. Well, praise God for that. Because you know why? Because you're a light in that darkness. 
and they don't like the light. But they need to hear it. They need to see it. And if you love someone, you're going to tell them the truth. I had another pastor tell me that all the time. If you love somebody, you're going to tell them the truth. Whether they like it or not. Because you know what? Someday, you'll see that person again on the other side. And instead of having them say, why didn't you tell me? They might say, oh, I wish I would have listened. Now, I don't know if that's true or not. I don't, I just, I don't know if that's just good preaching stuff. But it's something to consider. Something to consider. God hasn't changed. He's still the same God. He's the same today, yesterday, and tomorrow. Right? He's a God you can trust. He's a God who's good. It's us who change. It's us who become restless. It's us who become dissatisfied. It's us who look for other truths and other ways and other lives. It's us. We're the problem. We're the problem. And I, I think you guys understand that. And that's true in any relationship. You know, when we feel insecure in a relationship, doesn't that bring on anxiety in that relationship? Yeah, it does. It does. It brings on anxiety in a relationship. You begin to wonder, you know, you know, do they care about me? Do they love me? Do they still feel the same way about me? You know? Well, you don't have to think that way about God. You don't. You don't have to think that way about God. God doesn't change. And that's what sin will do in any relationship. It is so weird to me how people have this wrong concept thinking that sin will enhance a relationship. It never enhances a relationship. It makes it worse. It it makes it worse. It's on your study guide. It's not that we are necessarily bad people. Did you find that spot? Okay. But rather it may be our day-to-day fellowship with God is inconsistent. Because our disobedience is so consistent. (laughs) Right? I'm consistently disobedient. That's my uh, default. I think that's true of most of us. Now, there are some who are as pure as the driven snow, like my wife Diane. But for the most part. Did you guys get that? All have sinned and come short of the Thus saith the Lord. Also, okay, let's focus. Also, um, understood, guide, it may not necessarily be an issue of sin either, but rather of distraction or disruption to the life in general. All right? So it's not always a sin issue. Could be stress, could be pressures, it could be circumstances, situations. It happens in life. We, we live in a broken world, ran by broken people. That's all there is to it. 
Matthew 28, 19 through 20 says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And that is our great commission. You know, that's that's what we're all about. You know, if you want to know what the will of God is, start there. If you're fulfilling that, you're well on your way. But what I want to look at for the purpose of our lesson is what he says following. Lo, I am with you all the way, even unto the end of the world. Amen. All right, so God's always, Jesus Christ is always there with us. Now, I'm talking about with us, you know, like right here on the outside. Where is he at? Right here. That's where he's at. That's where he's at. He's right here inside me. But you know what people do? And I'm not saying you guys do, but some people do. They try to put, they try to keep God in a box. They put God in a, they try to, well, it's on your study guide. We have a tendency to, here's a big word, compartmentalize. Compartmentalize our lives. We have compartmentalized our, our time with God. He fits within this schedule and this schedule only. You know, uh, during the day or, or the week or whatever. I remember one time uh, we were attending another church and uh, one of the members of the church called. And I may have told you this story. And she said, there's a distraught man trying to break into the church. And I only lived, we only lived about a minute or so from the church, so I raced up there in the car. And sure enough, there was this man just pulling and pulling and pulling on the doors of the church. So I got out of the car and walked up to him. I said, sir, can I help you? He said, well, I need to get inside. I need to get inside. I said, well, why do you need to get inside? He said, well, I need to get inside because I need to pray to God. That's where a lot of people think. Yeah, he's in there. He's in there. He's in here. He's in us. He's in us. So on your study guide, we can worship and fellowship with God on our jobs, and our schools, our homes, our cars, anywhere else, because he's with us. But the problem is this. We forget that. We forget that. So on your study guide, the issue is we don't have our hearts in tune with his presence. You know, a lot of times, well, we used to, a lot of times we go to restaurants to eat. And almost inevitably, what you would see is an older couple, an older married couple sitting at dinner. And during the whole dinner time, they don't say one word to each other. She'll get up and leave, and then she'll wipe her mouth, and she'll get up and leave. They don't even leave together. And a lot of us, unwittingly, may treat God that very same way. Oh, we know he's there, but we kind of ignore him. We don't talk to him. You see where I'm coming from? He's there with us all the time, folks. He's there with us all the time. 
Ephesians 5.19 says, Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Colossians 3.16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. One of the things that I like about my wife is that every once in a while she'll just be walking around the house just doing the normal stuff and she'll be singing these hymns or these songs or whatever. That's being in the presence of the Lord. We're in the presence of the Lord all the time, folks. We don't have to come to this building and try to break down the doors. We have an open door policy with the Lord. And we don't take advantage of it. We don't take advantage of it. So when we fail to get with God and His Word, we tend to drift. Sailing away. So on your study guide, we carry worship and fellowship in our hearts because that's where God dwells in spirit and truth. I had an opportunity to visit with my dear friend before he passed away. And he said, Brother Jeff, he says, I've been contemplating the worship of God. And so we talked about that. And then he said something very simple to me. He said, Jeff, the reason to worship God lives inside. We're temples of the Holy Spirit. God dwells within us. We don't need a 15-minute session of praise to praise God. We don't need to turn the radio on in the car to praise God. We don't need to turn on our CD player. I might be dating myself to praise God. We can praise God anywhere we're at. But we don't do it. We don't worship God wherever we're at. We don't do it. Why is that? Amos 3.3 says, Can two walk together except they be agreed? So on your study guide, fellowship is based upon the compatibility between both parties. Compatibility between both parties. And we cannot be compatible with God if we don't know what God's Word has to tell us about how to be compatible with God. Well, that's a mouthful. So if you're not in God's Word, if you're not abiding in God's Word, how are you going to know you're being compatible with God? And being incompatible with God, you're going to be in fellowship with God. And if you're in fellowship with God, then you're going to worship God. It's just going to be a, um, a natural thing to do. Nothing phony, nothing forced. You don't need to force it if it's real. I had a, I, I'm sorry if I keep telling tales. But I, have a, you know, I had a friend of mine. He was always going around, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. But after a while, folks, <laughs> you could tell that there was no reality to that. It was just words. Don't make it just words. 
I was teaching uh, D2, I said, so oftentimes we make worship an event. It's not an event. It's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. It's a privilege. It's what we're made for. So on your study guide, the consistent heart attitude of submission to his will, a spirit-filled love for God and others, a submissive and willing observance of what the Bible teaches on a practical level, more so than just an abstract intellectual level, it's the simple way of knowing the joy of fellowship with God. Sincerity and truth. Right? Yeah, we need to know the deep doctrines of the faith, but at the same time, what good does those deep doctrines of the faith do us if it doesn't um, change us into the image of Jesus Christ so that we can abide in Him to worship the Father. I mean, I know a lot of guys are super brilliant and boy, they can take this Bible and they can just, you know, split hairs. But they're as cold as a marble slab. more of an intellectual relationship. I'm not saying anything about their salvation. It's more cerebral than than real. Then there's some who have kind of a codependency relationship with God. Uh, some God. Some of God's people have a relationship uh, dependent upon their service in the church. Or they have a relationship dependent upon their position in the church. You know, they, they have to have this position in this church. And, and all of their so-called fellowship with God is all codependent upon, you know, their ministry or, or their place. Well, what happens if the ministry goes away? Or what happens if your position goes away? Does your relationship with God go away too? Well, if you're codependent, yeah, it will. It will. I've had brothers come to me, I don't know what I'm going to do. They, they took my ministry away from me. As if, you know, that was their relationship with God. Go find another ministry. Right? That's not the end all of everything. Go find another ministry. Their relationship is, is hitched to something rather than to someone. Don't fall into that trap. Don't fall into that. That's the importance of fellowship. If the ministry goes away, then your relationship with God should become stronger. As you pray and search God's will. Right? Exactly. If the position no longer exists, your service continues. That shouldn't stop you from being a servant of God. Just because you're no longer a deacon, keep being a deacon. Position doesn't mean anything. 
as far as your relationship and service to God is concerned. You understand what I'm saying? In, in no matter what your circumstance, no matter what your situation, you keep doing what Paul was in prison when he says, I press toward the mark. He was in jail when he said that. Yeah. You keep pressing toward the prize of the high calling of Christ Jesus. That's what John is saying in this epistle. This is what he's encouraging these readers. He says, know God. Don't simply know about God. You come to know God. How many times have I said this to you? You be jealous of that fellowship. You be jealous of that relationship with God. And you don't let anybody interfere with it. Anybody take it away from you. On your study guide. As a careful reading of the gospel showed to us, the Lord will meet us where we are to lead us to where he desires for us to be. Meet us and lead us. He meets us where we're at and then he leads us to where he wants us to be. You read that time and time and time again in the gospels. Again on your study guide, fellowship encompasses so much... There is a sense of community, and there is, often a joint participation in a common cause, and there is. We see that during vision conference, and we see that during Bible conference. We see that. The sharing of common experiences as those machines break down, and our fingers get black from rolling those signatures All of this and more is part and package of what we call fellowship. But the true, and this is on your study guide, but the true benefit of fellowship, that which community and common experiences should bring about, is one of intimacy. Intimacy. That family closeness in a relationship. That's why if you forsake the church, you're not going to have that intimacy. You're not going to have that closeness. And that's a, that, always, that always hurts my heart when I see people leave the church or forsake the church. You know, instead of resolving whatever's going on, instead of taking care of whatever needs to be taken care of, they, that's their first inclination is, is to flee, is to bail. And that lowers that shield of faith, and that opens you up to you-know-who. It just does. It just does. Now, I'm not saying that there's not legitimate reasons to leave. You know, I'm not saying that. But, you know, if somebody steps on your toe or, you know, pokes you in the eye or (laughs) I don't know what happens, you know, get, get it resolved, get it fixed. Okay. You know, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane, you know the place. (laughs) Jesus cried out, Abba, Father. Mark 14, 36, and he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but thou wilt. You know, due to his willingness to drink that cup, we're here. Okay, 
We have that fellowship. We are, you know, we are living forever and we're one day going to be with him forever because he was willing to drink that cup. But my point is because he was willing to drink that cup, we now have the privilege to call God Abba. Galatians 4, 5, to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. That curls my toes. That curls my toes. That shows the spirit of the Son. Yeah, spirit of the Son. Well, they're all... That is a blessing, folks. And that is a blessing that we neglect. That's sitting across a dinner table from the Lord and not saying a word. This is why I teach First John. It must be looked at and studied from the perspective of a believer in fellowship rather than tests or proofs whether or not you're saved or not. You know what that tell, that does to me? You know, if it's proofs of how, whether you're saved, there's no assurance there. There's no fellow. That brings about anxiety and fear and wondering and oh my goodness, how can I possibly, if I don't tick this box and tick that box, that's not what this is all about. It's about our relationship with God and how rich and how real and how joy-filled it can be. Don't let anybody take that away from you. Don't even let yourself take that away from you. You know, the Apostle Paul was grieved for the Galatians. They also were falling under the influence of false teachers who were trying to lead them back into legalism. And he wrote, you did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? What happened, guys? They listened to the wrong words. They didn't hold fast to the words that they were taught. These seducers of the Galatian church had influenced these believers, wooing them away from grace and putting back on them the yoke of bondage. Paul says, no! Don't do that. Don't go there. And that's often the tactic of the Gnostic. You know, these these infiltrators were saying, Hey, you Galatians, great, you did the first step, but you lack something. You need something more, and we've got it. And that's what the Gnostics will do to you. Well, it's good that you've got that KJV, but hey, I've got this other book that completes this book. Or I've got these other things that help you to be even more complete in Christ. Now, Colossians tells me, I am complete in Christ. I need nothing else. Don't let them trick you like that, folks. They'll spout some new revelation. You know, the Gospel of Thomas or the Gospel of this. The Book of Mormon. The Koran. No. No. We need no other Bible than the one God has already given us. 
We need no other Bible than the one that God has already given us. And just like the Galatians, uh, there are some who have hindered themselves in taking full advantage of the fellowship that John said right here in John chapter 1, that our joy may be filled, may be full. And you know who the number one perpetrator, the number one culprit is, is in all of that? Raise your hand. Yeah. It's us. It's us and the new ones. Psalm 18:21 says, "For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from Him, from my God. For all His judgments were before me, and I did not put away His statutes from me. I was also upright before Him, and I kept myself from mine iniquity. I am my worst enemy. I am my biggest problem." My greatest hindrance is myself. First, uh, John 2, 3, And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. That, that, that doesn't mean that the guy is lost. It simply means he's not abiding in the word. So on your study guide, though there is no loss of salvation at risk here, There is a deprivation of intimacy in our relationship with the Son and a richer worship of the Father. A deprivation. Philippians 3.10 says that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. This is the knowing that John is writing to us about. A knowing based in truth. A knowing based in sincerity with God. Be real. Don't play these games. You don't need this immoral, mystical Gnosticism that is being presented in the churches today. We've got everything we need. We have his word. We have his spirit. We have his church. And I believe we've got godly men that have our best interests at heart. Teaching and preaching. We don't need the whacked out fanaticism that we see going on today. We don't need all the ceremonialism and the pomp and circumstance that's going on today. We don't need anything outside of the Bible and Christ. Yeah, yeah. John 15:5 says, wait a minute, let me back up. I think I missed a spot. Yeah, on your study guide, what John presents to us here is very practical. A rubber, a rubber meets the road Christianity that takes our head out of the clouds of theory and places our feet firmly on the rock. Practical and on the rock. John 15:5 says, "I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. But without me, ye can do nothing." So it's not one's identification with a particular religious system or denomination. It's not one's participation in a ceremony or even in an organization or a ministry. That's essential, folks. That's not what it's all about. It's our identification with Jesus Christ, our relationship with him, and our abiding in the word that he is. That's essential. 
He says, without me, you can do nothing. You, you want to bear fruits? Abide in the Word. Abide in the Word. Don't play the games. Don't get sucked into the stuff that's out there, the, what I call cheap Christianity. When you abide in the Word, you get your sustenance from the Word, you're nurtured by the Word, and like that fruit on the vine, you begin to swell, you begin to become sweet, and you become pleasing to the Lord. That's the only way you're going to produce fruit. And you cannot accomplish this if you do not know God by abiding in his word. It simply will not happen. Light cannot fellowship with darkness. In the same way, we cannot have fellowship with God unless we abide in his word. Amen? Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Father, for the promises contained in your word. We thank you, Lord God, that you love us enough to show us the importance of abiding in your word. So therefore, Lord God, we come to you, and we're we're open, and we're honest, and we're frank with you, Lord. And we know that we are our biggest hindrance in this matter, Father. So I pray, Father, that you would help us, fill us, uh, fill us with your spirit so that we would be obedient to your word. Open our eyes and our ears so that we would see wondrous things from your law. Father in heaven, help us to be fruitful for you so that we would be pleasing to you in all things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.